with the waters of Buzzards Bay lapping on the shore nearby. RPM News Weekly presents Rick's Tech Talk. Here in the RPM studio in Mattapoise, I've got Cousin Rick on the line in Needham, Massachusetts. Good afternoon, Cousin Rick. Good afternoon, Rich. How's it going up there in Needham? Well, we had five inches of rain this morning. So, but the sun's out and everything seems to be dry. It's like going through a ringer. Well, we got blasted down here too. Uh, maybe not quite as much as five inches. I haven't seen the tally yet. Uh, but it's uh, sun is out and things are shining bright. What have you got for us this week? Okay, we've got, uh, well, we weren't uh, uh, in... Uh, in the studio last week. So we have two rides of the week that we start out with. And the first one is a brand new vehicle to the U.S. market, the Alfa Romeo Tonale Veloce EAWD, electric all-wheel drive. And this is a uh, completely new design. It's built in Italy. And uh, it expands the Alpha line in the U.S. They have the Julia sedan and the Stelvio SUV. And this is a small SUV that's a plug-in hybrid. They're only selling the plug-in hybrid versions here in the U.S. And uh, it's uh, an interesting vehicle. It, it's got, a, let's say, Italian panache on the highway. It handles very well, rides very nice, and the the people I had riding with me on the backcountry roads uh, commented on how well uh, it rode in uh, twisty, windy roads and uh, gave a comfortable ride. And we can go through some of the specs here on that. Uh, well, it's let got. Ask, let me ask yeah. you. Uh, that trim that you've got there, that's the top of the line for that model. Am I correct? Yeah, it's the uh, top of the line trim. Well, uh, how does, how's that pronounced? Veloce? Well, I would say Veloce. You've got that you know, sound. I, I, yeah, well, I speak jive Italian. <laughs> so. Well, it works but, for me. Uh, it sounded a lot better okay. than the way I pronounced it. Yeah, well, they, you know, there's really two kinds of Italian. There's real Italian they speak in Italy, Don's Italian, and then there's American Italian, which was kind of isolated from Italy over many years, and so that uh, there's a few slangs in there and uh -huh. different pronunciations. I'm but sure you know all not, those let, words too, right? Yeah, we let's not digress <laughs> until later. But okay. the uh, it's got a 1.3 liter straight forward turbo engine with a six-speed automatic transmission, but it does have paddle shifters if you want to get a little sporty on the highway. The uh, total horsepower is 285 horsepower, of which uh, 90, uh, well, it's a 90-kilowatt electric motor on the rear axle, which gives you 120 horsepower of the total of 285 horsepower. And it's got a range of an electric range of 33 miles. But like with most uh, plug-in vehicles, in the summertime, you, you'll get a little more miles on the electric. And a, uh, it's got an EPA equivalent miles per gallon equivalent rating of 77 miles per gallon. And like I mentioned, it's 
built in Pomigliano, Italy, and the transmission is Italian. The Italian parts content is 56%, with 12% from China. They're big on now the base small, small 1.3 and 1.4 liter engines. Right, but it's got a, you know, a third, like, uh, you know, well over a third is uh, the electric motor, which, uh, you know, gives you uh, the fact that the motor's on the rear axle, that the Alpha engineers wanted to get a balance of uh, a 50-50 balance front to rear weight ratio for good handling on the highway. Oh, yeah, good idea. Right. Okay, now the uh, the base price is forty seven thousand four ninety five, but with the tonale, we've got a few options here. Ours ours came in alpha black exterior, which is a five hundred dollar option. It has what's neat is that even the uh, the passenger seat has eight way power seat adjustment, and my wife commented. She goes. I know when I've got all the power adjustments on the passenger side that you have on the driver's side that the car is going to cost over $50,000. <laughs> and so with, with all the options and the delivery charge, it comes out at $57,290. And some of the other features are it's got a, uh, I said, like it has the paddle shifters. It's got a Harman Carden premium audio system, and it's got 20-inch wheels with what they uh, what they call the Grigio five-hole wheel. It's a very distinctive wheel. It's, uh, it's got five holes in a pattern around the wheel, although it reminded me, my wife made the same comment, it, it looks like something Audi came up with with their, with their stellar uh, logo. But it's here on the Alpha. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of other brands, and uh, uh, but in the same family here, uh, I think the platform on that uh, Tonali is actually used in the Dodge Hornet. Uh, right. It is the Dodge. Uh, the same platform as Dodge Hornet, but the Dodge Hornet's kind of more of a. You can't really say it's the same car. The Dodge Hornet's kind of. Yeah. It's got uh, you know different suspension and uh, engine options and so on. And it's more of a performance vehicle. They're pitching the Dodge Hornet as a performance vehicle, where this is more a touring vehicle, I would call it. Okay. okay? So that's the, the first ride of the week. And the second ride of the week, okay, is the 2024 Mazda CX-90 plug-in hybrid vehicle. Now, when they told me they were bringing me a Mazda CX-90, I said, well, wait a minute. They brought me one like a month ago. But that was the uh, the straight-up CX-90 premium edition, which we uh, which we had. And this is the, the plug-in hybrid. And the, uh, the plug-in hybrid, the uh, CX-90 battery configuration, it's got a, uh, let's see, it's got 323 horsepower, total horsepower, which includes a 2.5 liter engine and a 68 watt motor, 
which is like 92 horsepower. So 92 of the 323 horsepower from the electric motor, it gets 56 miles per gallon equivalent, and it has 26 miles of range in EV, the EV mode. Okay. Okay, but in in the summer you get you get a little more than uh, 26 miles. Plus, I find that if you're not heavy on the throttle, you can you can really you know keep that mileage. And uh, if you let up on the pedal on downhills and so on, if you can do it in the road conditions and traffic, you'll get you'll preserve your electric uh, vehicle uh, all electric driving. Yeah, and that's, the that's a that's a three row vehicle. Well, right. right, it's a three-row vehicle. It's a big vehicle, okay? And the uh, the Mazda we drove before, the CX-90, came in around $59,000, $60,000. And this starts at uh, $47,000 all the way up to uh, $58,000. But you do get the uh, advantages of a plug-in hybrid vehicle that if you're Mostly around town, you can drive on electric, but you right. still have the uh, the range with uh, a hybrid vehicle for a long trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty convenient, especially too with a bigger vehicle like this. Yeah, when you go three rows, you get you get. Uh, well, ours was set up for uh, seven people, but you know, if you got that third row, you don't have much room for luggage. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, unless, unless everyone's got this carry-ons or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that, that's the premium plus. Am I right? We're talking about the. the uh, plus. Yeah, that was the pr- premium plus. Okay, and so that's our second ride of the week. Oh, you've been you've been riding in style then. Oh yeah, we ri- we ride in style, and I appreciate. Uh, you know, with the gas prices going up a little bit, you appreciate the efficiency of a hybrid. Well, what else have you got? Uh, anything else automotive? Okay, yeah, we've got uh, some interesting stuff here that's come out in uh, you know in the last couple of weeks. And one that just came out today, the the folks at iccars.com came up with a another study of used car prices and it's uh well the news isn't that good so basically what they studied between one and five year old used cars and they found that the average used car price is up by almost 50 percent it's 47.7 percent since the pandemic and that uh, there used to be a lot of cars uh maybe half of the used cars market would be under twenty thousand dollars back in 2019 now, now that's only 12 percent of the market this year which goes to show you one it's inflation and two the dollar isn't worth as much as it used to be that uh, and also the average used car has 20 percent more miles than it did three years ago so you're you're paying roughly 50 percent more for getting a car that's run 20 percent more Wow, lots of changes in just what a matter of yep. four years. Yeah, and then uh, so you go to iccars.com. There's so much data there on these studies that you can uh, you can try to find a good used car or a cheap one or 
just get dismayed and maybe buy a new one. Do they make any predictions like that? You know, this is high now because of sort of like post-pandemic uh, buying fever, but that the prices might come back down a little further. Do they give any indications of, of that sort of thing happening? Well, I think that's that's what it is. You know, you, we had the uh, you know the the used car prices jump because new car prices. Uh, new cars you were getting hard to find because of the chip and supply chain issues. So we've got an interesting market dynamic here. And if anybody can predict it, good luck for them. They should go buy a, a mega bucks. Yeah, right. That's right. We got a lot of money riding on mega bucks tonight, right? What's this? It's well over a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you could buy a few of these cars that you've been talking about today. Uh, and not even have to worry about the price of used cars if you won the mega bucks tonight. But, but that's only going to happen. To that's you. right. Well, it doesn't matter. Then. People. And then you can afford the insurance. <laughs> so uh, anything else automotive? Anything else? from? I yeah, that uh, I think it was announced last. Well, it was announced last week. A group of seven automakers, they're they're coming together to build 30,000 EV charging stations between now and 2030, okay? And they're, they're roughly, oh, maybe, say, 36,000 fast chargers in the country now. And so they want to boost that to a little under double by 2030. And uh, the only problem is there are some estimates saying that that is only a maybe a third of what we're going to need. We're, yeah. we're going to need uh, some estimates. We're going to need like 180,000 chargers. So yeah. any, uh, any, anything said about how, why it's going to take them until 2030 to do that? I mean, I don't think it took Tesla that long to do theirs. Yeah. We'll see in that. Well, the, the car makers that are coming together, BMW, General Motors, Honda, Hyundai, Kia, Mercedes, Benz, and Stellantis are the ones that are doing this. And uh, part of the reason is, one, they, they're seeing a some, somewhat softening of the EV market because people are worried about charging and range and so on. And the, the chargers that are going to be installed, we're going to, be, we're going to use the, uh, the common connection other than the Tesla connection, but there, there would also be outfitted with the new standard that Tesla, Ford, and GM have adopted. And so it won't be the, the old Tesla standard. It'll be the new one they're working on with Ford. Well, that in itself is news. Am, am I correct? That, that That's a, a, a new announcement as well, that uh, Ford and GM are teaming up with Tesla. For, uh, right, right. But they're, they're expecting, uh, you know, the word is that, you know, Ford will, maybe jump onto this effort too as well. And uh, I'm sure you, you've you had your charging stories to relate. Oh, and yeah, yeah we, we were out the other day. We had, uh, I had the tally and we're out at the German Rockwell Museum on our way back from upstate New York and there are chargers there. So I roll up to the charger and I've got the... Uh, charge point app it's a charge point charger so i go up to the charger you know get the put the put my phone next to the charger and it 
it logs me in. I plug in to the car and everything starts blinking that I'm on the charge and we're charging up. And the car next to me, you know, that, that was there before, he's got his charger is blinking and so on. And so maybe when we come out of the museum, I see that there's a fall light on the car. There's the red light. It's not green. And the charger, the screen on the charger uh, is blank. It's not blinking, no message at all. So apparently when we're in the museum, the charger failed. And what gets me is that I didn't get a notification from charge point that the charger I was on had failed. So I think that's something they've got to come up with. And I checked the phone. The app didn't have uh, notifications with it. So maybe that's something they can come up with. There's so many stories like that, little stories, even just difficulties, like random difficulties with getting the charges to work. And I hate to be sort of that that drum because uh, I'm very much in favor of uh, us moving forward with electric vehicles. But yeah, yeah even right even in, uh, that situation. Yeah, the charge point app that'll tell you where the charges are and even tell you if they're out of order. But this one failed when we were on the charger. And then you might you might have gone to places, I've gone to places where there are two fast chargers for EVs and about eight Tesla chargers with only one Tesla charging there. Yeah. So it seemed to be an imbalance. Yeah, I've seen that too. Especially, you know, when I took a ride down to Philadelphia, you know, we figured that all the way along the Jersey Turnpike, it'd be easy access to EV chargers, and that was not the case. But Tesla had plenty of them. Uh, right. So, yeah, uh, I hope that gets remedied. Uh, there is money in the pipeline here in Massachusetts, though, for uh, charging stations. And I hope that some people took advantage of it. Right, and amazingly enough, they got rid of them on the pike, and they're trying to get a contract for new ones. So who knows how long that's going to be? Yeah, it's just strange uh, that there's so many difficulties uh, in doing. Right, and they need more than one or two plugs at each uh, rest stop. Oh, easily, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah, it's like you know, instead of sort of planning for the future, there seems to be this sort of planning for the past. Uh, You know, I mean, there's really much more of a need, especially now. Uh, a lot of younger folks in particular are deciding they want to go to electric route. And uh, right. you know, uh, I think I'm sure that they're going to want the convenience of being able to take, make long distance trips and, and, and not have to be struggling to find charges that are working and finding charges that are yep, useful. Maybe, maybe McDonald's should put one in at every McDonald's. Yeah. Like, it would or be Starbucks. Their advantage. Yeah, each of their advantage. Well, it leaves you wondering. So, uh, what else? Anything else automotive, or, or do you have? Uh, uh, let's see. No, we've got, uh, we've got a Musk minute. Just a minute. If we I must, need a lot more than that. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we won't go into the cage match. Oh. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but the, I, I, he's saying he hurt his back. Got to get an MRO. So I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, but let, let's go into some. Real news here that SpaceX did a full engine test of its Starship booster down at the spaceport in Boca Chica, Texas. And it was, uh, they fired up all 33 engines and 
the key feature there is that after the last launch that just about destroyed the concrete under the launch pad, they've put in a steel plate that uh, has uh, nozzles in it up top. It's a the hollow, well, it's a hollow steel plate with holes in the top, and they run water through that, and it comes blowing up. It looks like a splash pad on steroids. It comes blowing up under the rocket. The rocket fires, and it generates a tremendous amount of steam, and you can't see the rocket. But the uh, So they're getting ready to try to launch the Starship upper stage into orbit, hopefully later this year. But at the same time, they were supposed to fire all 33 engines for five seconds, which really isn't all that much. And the they shut down after just two and a half seconds. And during that time, four of the engines failed. So there's still a lot of work to do, trying to get 33 engines running right and, you know, on, on the, the, world, the world's most massive rocket. Especially at yeah, so, right, that level of, of power. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's not a, an easy task. But nevertheless, you know, that's did they, was it, did it shut down automatically or, or was it shut down because they saw some things happening in, in the control? No, I think it was automatic because it was so quick that nobody had time to react. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's so, it's yeah, it's something, you know, you're you're scaling up rockets and it may not scale up linearly. It may scale up exponentially. And that means the difficulty in coordinating so many engines, even with modern computer technology, is uh, it's going to take a take a while to get there. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not this new cooling system that they put in will right well, for a full it. launch. Yeah, because the the first launch it, it it stayed on the pad for a few seconds, which caused all the problems. And is the cooling system adequate now to prevent damage? Yeah. And, and hopefully not introduce other problems. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, just out of curiosity, I guess we don't have to spend too much time with it, but uh, is Elon borrowing the X from SpaceX and his renaming of Twitter? Is that what's going on with that? Have you heard anything? Oh, what? Uh, you mean that uh, he renamed Twitter after SpaceX? Well, yeah, I, I, I noticed on... on uh, my uh, notifications from Twitter that they were all coming in with this X symbol. Right, he renamed the company X. Yeah. He's fascinated by the letter X. So uh, I, I have nothing to say on that. I suppose he's not fascinated with the X in front of CEO, uh, ex-CEO, <laughs> if <should> that <laughs> happened. Uh, but yeah, interesting. But anyway, so I digress now. Uh, so... Uh, what else have you got for us? Well, speaking of space, uh, it was an interesting uh, event over the weekend. Uh, Voyager 2 was uh, NASA reestablished communications with Voyager 2. There was a erroneous command went up, and the, the antenna that uh, points the high, the high gain data link to, to Earth got off, off bore site, and so it wasn't pointing at Earth. So Effectively, what NASA did is they just took their biggest antenna and pushed the power through there. To, uh, they called it a cosmic shout that 
woke the spacecraft up to reorient itself. And they said it, it, it was kind of neat the way they did it, but they said even if they didn't do it, the spacecraft would have done an automatic reorientation in October. And uh, the spacecraft track, it tracks the sun and a couple of uh, bright stars so to know what, how it's oriented in space so it has, knows how to point the antenna back to Earth. And uh, plus the fact that there's still enough hydrazine propulsion gas on there to keep it uh, pointed correctly at Earth. So some civilization in some far-off galaxy may be receiving a temporary signal. Right, and they'll get that golden record. <laughs> um, it's amazing. They put that golden record on there, and then CDs came in. So they maybe that if they waited a couple of years, they had a golden CD. But but you have to communicate to whoever finds it how to play it. Yeah, you would think that, well, if they're intelligent enough to find the signal, they might be intelligent enough to figure that out. Right. But then there was, remember the first Star Trek movie when they found the Voyager, but they didn't know it? It was called V'ger because it was, yeah, yeah. It was uh, some uh, something obscuring the full name. Yeah. Yeah. Very inventive thinking. Uh, yep. That program. So uh, anything else? Like anything on the medical front or... Uh, yeah, we've got, well, there's a couple of things if we've got the time, and one of them came from MIT. Okay. And they've come up with a way to make concrete uh, act as a battery. And uh, it's by seeding the concrete with carbon black, and the way the concrete dries with the channels, with channels in it, the carbon black accumulates in the channels and forms basically... A capacitor or a, or or a battery it depends on how you look at it and this although it's not very efficient for storage it won't really store that much but if you have a house with a, a typical new house with so much concrete in it you can get if you put the carbon black in the concrete for a typical house you can get maybe storage for one-third of your needs of electricity and if you have a solar array, you can get pretty much close to uh, getting, uh, say, off the grid somewhat because you've got your house is effectively a battery. But uh, they've done this on a small scale. They have to scale it up, but have to see how it works. That's Plus, fantastic. you know, you wonder how it ages. It might, uh, you know, your, your housing uh, battery may deteriorate somewhat over time, but who knows? Yeah, it would be interesting to see if that once they get started, maybe actually building a few houses with that uh, should, should actually come to fruition. Right. But, yeah, it's obviously good for mostly for new construction. Right. But then again, you know, on new buildings, you could uh, put it in, uh, you know, if you're building not just homes, but it could be commercial buildings and uh, offices and whatever. Well, you know, the days of, of concrete highways seem to have, Kind of pass by, uh, uh, but some of the bridge work still uses a lot of concrete. But you know, the surfaces are, are you know, now it seems like, at least in, in this part of the country, I don't know about elsewhere, uh, those sort of concrete ribbons that they, they used in years past, you know, with, with a little break every so often. So when the road opened, there was always this like bump every 
two seconds. Uh, you don't really see those kind of highways that, that often these days. Well, you mean most of our roads are asphalt now. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I remember in the old days when they were concrete, you know, they you'd expand in the summer and the roads would buckle. And one of the reasons for that is that, like in the south, the roads didn't buckle because they never got as cold in the winter. And in the expansion joints in the up north, you'd accumulate dirt and rocks and everything else. So in the summer, when the concrete expanded, the expansion joints wouldn't work as effectively, and that's where the concrete would buckle. Interesting. I've heard of several people on occasion when, when they first encountered that kind of highway, uh, they thought they had a flat or something because you know that that continuous like, from, from, from Oh, you mean the concrete joints? You, yes, you get a bump every every yeah, every right. second or two down the highway. Right. Right. You'd go ba bump ba bump ba bump. Right. Not, da, 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 da. That's right. Route eighty four between the Hudson River and Pennsylvania was like that. I said, who did they give the contract to on this road? Because, oh, it was just awful. You know, you'd, you'd go nuts in there. So but in they all, repaved it with asphalt now. Well, in all of your in, uh, engineering experience, did you work on highway construction of that, of that sort at all? No, I'm not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not aerospace, a, right? That's right. Uh-huh. So, yeah, but well, that kind of stuff interests you. Uh, yeah, well, you can see that you're well-tuned to a lot of what's happening out there in the tech world. Yeah, it's just the way, you know, certain people think. And, uh, you know, it's the way you're oriented. You're oriented towards uh, thinking things, whereas some people that are oriented to, uh, you know, working better with people. You know, you're in tune to people and their feelings and emotions and stuff like that. And some people are tuned to working problems out with uh, physical things and uh, objects and all kinds of, uh, you know, energy and whatever. That's true. And uh, Star Trek had that handle too. You know, if you're certain galactic peoples would have uh, different sort of ways in which they handle situations based on whether or not they were more thinkers uh, or, right. or they were more you know, into like, people's emotions. Yeah, but like most science fiction, it's not so much predicting the future, but looking at current society through a magnifying lens. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and build, that's build, a topic for a whole other day. Okay, well, that's good. That's a, It will be a topic for it. So that's uh, yeah. This, that's this a wrap. It is a wrap. I was wondering. We were sort of getting to that wrap. Uh, and yep. uh, glad we could get together. Likewise, uh, I suppose we'll be doing this for a couple of weeks uh, until our regular uh, radio station is back uh, in play. RT News right until back. Bob is back and RT is back in the saddle. We wish him well. We wish him very well. And uh, thanks again, Rick. Uh, this has been another episode of Rick's Tech Talk here on RPM News Weekly. Tune in again next week. Thanks for joining us this week on the RPM News Weekly podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at rpmnewsweekly.com for more automotive news and interviews.